Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Fellowship of the Ring one minute at a time. I'm Norman Mitchell. And I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And today we're going to be covering Minute 39, which starts with To Bring Them All and In the Darkness Bind Them, and ends with his life force. Gandalf talking about Sauron's life force remaining with the ring, but he gets cut off, cut off mid-sentence. Yeah. This This minute is all exposition. Yeah, it's... This this scene is the scene that I keep referring to as exposition Gandalf. Yeah. And it's much longer in the book uh, because he goes into the uh, backstory that we see of pretty much the prologue. Yeah. Uh, with Isildur and Gollum and how Gollum came to find the ring. And is it in... Return of the King or Two Towers, the scene where with Smeagol and Diagol. It is the opener of the extended edition of Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Okay, yeah. I believe it's in the theatrical, too. I think it's the opening scene for that movie. Right. I know it was the opening scene. I just couldn't remember which one. Yeah, it's Return of the King. and they. I, I believe part of the reason they did it was so that Andy Serkis had a actual on-screen role so that he was eligible to be nominated and win an Oscar? Well, this, that scene comes from this part in the book. Yeah. Uh, Gandalf actually recounts the story of Smeagol and Diegel with uh, dialogue as well. Yeah. And, and that's part of why the 17-year the time skip makes sense in the framework of the books, because in that 17 years is when Gandalf and Aragorn are also trying to track down Gollum. Right. Which is a, a difficult task. But as we know from last week, he is in Mordor. Yes. So that kind of... The way that the movie is structured allows for not as long of a time skip. Yeah. Um, and we talked... We... I don't know if you saw this, but... Um, a few days ago, we were talking about um, the um, like the nature of the Shire and how we were joking around about like dive bars and how the Shire isn't really skeevy in right. the movies, and that that choice comes down to adaptation. Yeah, uh, because there are plenty of sketchy characters in the Shire. Uh, the Sackville Bagginses and the people who work for Saruman and yeah, uh, in the later books, but in order for the the narrative to keep going, and in order for the like we as the audience need to be able to sympathize and understand where the protagonists are coming from and what they're fighting to protect. Yeah, and if you. It's unrealistic to show the Shire as this perfect, idyllic, pastoral place where, you know, everyone's just laughing and having a good time and drinking. But at the same time, in the context of a movie adaptation, that's really the only way to do it. Because otherwise, I don't believe that we get a good sense of what the Hobbits, specifically Frodo and Sam, are fighting to protect when they undertake this 
quest. Right. There's without this sort of view of the Shire, there's not really the same stakes for Frodo and Sam and Mary right. and Pippin. And I mean, yes, it is a little absurd because no place is this uh, perfect. Perfect. And right. I mean, they even up the the color filter, like yeah. we talked about a few weeks ago when they make we it first... super green. Right. But I think showing it in this this rose like these rose tinted lenses as if you will you know these yeah. green tinted lenses really helps to underscore the good parts of middle earth and what what is really at stake yeah and we don't really see a whole lot of middle earth no not really not until the quest gets going because yeah. that's the nature of the quest and by the that point, quest. oh, you don't even know. You haven't even seen that. You can't quote that at me because you don't know my pain. Um, sorry, that's like a Doctor Who reference. Um, what was I saying? Oh, now I'm angry about Doctor Who. What was I saying? The nature of the quest, seeing more Middle Earth. Yeah. Okay. So after the Fellowship has formed. You're seeing more of Middle Earth, but it's already being corrupted by these forces of evil. Yeah. So, really, the only place to kind of get this view of Middle Earth without Sauron's influence is in the Shire. And I think that's that's important to keep in mind with a lot of these choices going forward in the movie. Yeah. Um. It's not just a matter of timelines, it's a matter of how best can we take this source material and make it into a cohesive story, and not only a story, but a narrative that works and translates well on film. Right. Because it needs to be relatively easy to follow. The stakes need to be visible and feel real to right. the people watching it. Because, yes, you are kind of painting broad strokes with... Uh, the Shire, and but it's, I don't know, it's... You need to. Yeah. Yeah. That's my point. Yeah. Adaptation theory. Adaptation theory. Because, it's a really good adaptation. Which right. Which we keep talking about. This is the best, I mean... I can't think of a better adaptation work. I would argue that, I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of other book to adaptation book to movie adaptations yes uh mostly because i'm not super familiar with the source material so if i'm not familiar with the source material i don't want to go see a movie yeah you know what i mean yeah because i mean yeah i'm sitting here talking about how the adaptation needs to stand on its own and these choices are for the yeah. good of the movie. But at the same time, I am first and foremost a bookworm, so I like to be informed uh, informed of where this is coming from so I can critically understand. Right, right, right. So you can think about like why they made the choices they made Yeah. as far as an adaptation goes? I think part of the, like with The Martian, I didn't want to see The Martian because I wanted to read the book first because everyone yeah. was like, this is the greatest book. And I still haven't seen it. No, I haven't either. Plus, we like didn't really have time or money. But 
Still. Yeah, we even had time to see a lot of movies <laughs> we both wanted to go see, Martian included. But as far as sweeping fantasy stories, yeah, uh, the 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 most obvious one for me in uh, comparison is Harry Potter. Yeah. Granted, even though the scope of that is really much smaller, the scope is much smaller, but there's also more source material. Yeah, arguably. Yeah, I mean, there's more actual books in the story. There's a ton of, you know, the the appendices and everything like that. But I'm, I'm curious what the comparison is of like words in the story compared to the seven Harry Potter uh, books to the Hobbit and then the three Lord of the Rings books. I wonder what total number of words is like. Oh, there's definitely more Harry Potter. Are you kidding me? I don't know. A lot of the earlier books have though are fairly small. I'm really curious about that. I I, I'm sure that that's somewhere. The early books are equivalent to The Hobbit, and then... And there are three of them. Right. Yeah. Like, each early book is equivalent to The Hobbit. Yeah. And... You're right. Goblet of Fire, Order of Phoenix are over a thousand pages each. Yeah. Or almost a thousand pages. I guess my mind is just stumbling on a, on how big of a work Lord of the Rings is. When you take everything into account, not the books itself. Right. But the th- the the three books, The Lord of the Rings, because, yes, we're... Are, are a little bit bigger than Order of the Phoenix. Literally, like, if you stack yeah. the trade paperbacks on top of each other... Yeah. I mean, I have I, I have a, I the <laughs> I have the paperback version of all three volumes, yeah. and then just stick it next to Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, my brain is just stumbling on like all the the, the stuff right. that's in Lord of the Rings. Not not counting the the Silmarillion, the Children right. of um, here in the you know right, right, right. Book of Lost Tales. Don't count that because right. that's all. It's hard. It's hard to to pull things apart in my brain. Right. It's very interlaced. Uh, like uh, someone on our listener group uh, posted that picture of the iceberg saying Lord of the Rings. The Silmarillion. Right, right, right. The source, I mean, the, the, what, what is the, the ancillary material. Yeah. Vastly outweighs the actual narrative. Yeah. But for my purpose, I'm talking about like the right, narrative. Right, 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 I'm, I got way off track. It's hard for me to like uncouple. No, I understand. Um. Sorry for derailing you. Where was I going with this? Uh, you were talking about. Harry uh, Potter. Broad strokes in, like, a big world. Yeah. Okay, so... In comparison to Harry Potter, which is my go-to book-to-movie adaptation comparison. Yeah. Because I would argue that I'm more familiar with Harry Potter than I am with Lord of the Rings. You know, they have similar themes. They do. And they're both under the big umbrella genre of fantasy. Right. As well as the hero's journey. Right. Uh... With Harry Potter, I understand why they did what they did, the fourth movie accepted, because I don't understand that movie at all. I understand why they chose to adapt Harry Potter the way that they did, but I don't think that it is as good or as faithful an adaptation as the Lord of the Rings movies are. Not The Hobbit. I'm not counting right. The Hobbit. Right, right, right. Just these three movies. Yeah. Because, I don't know, you can just, 
every time we sit down and look at this, like you can just feel the amount of care and effort and just overwhelming want to be able to pull this off. Yeah. And especially in comparison with Harry Potter because they came out at around the same time. Yeah. Like um, within months of each other. Right. Harry Potter came out in we just we talked about this a yeah. few weeks ago. It was, within, it was within a couple months of each other. Yeah. So I don't know where I was going with that. But adaptation theory. Adaptation theory. <laughs> adaptation. The the business of adaptation is really difficult. Well, yeah, because you, you can't just film something as written. It, it's You would get long, bloated, right. unnecessarily large movies. I mean, look at the, the prologue, for example. Right, which was apparently in the original cut of the film here. Oh, right, when they didn't have the prologue. When they didn't and have the prologue. concerning Hobbits was, was kind of the prologue. The prologue. All those scenes at the, the beginning like the of the battles yeah. with Isildur and the losing of the ring was all here when Gandalf is talking about it. Right. Which, can you imagine just taking those, like, seven minutes and just transplanting them here? Well, it wouldn't be transplanted, like, word for word. It would be interspersed. Yeah. Like, you'd have Gandalf say something and then you'd have a flashback. But... Or Gandalf speaking over the flashback. Yes, that... I mean, the prologue is a lot to take in, especially if you have no idea what you're getting into. But yeah. that lays the groundwork for the rest of the movie. Exactly. It was really necessary right. to make this all work. Because if you took that prologue, chopped it up a little bit, and put it here when Gandalf is speaking, after being introduced to the Shire and setting up all this kind of like whimsical stuff, you create... Like it's whiplash. Uh, yeah, tonal whiplash. Which kind of happens with concerning hobbits thrown in. in but it extended, almost kind of works. But they balance each other out, I think. Yeah. But in this, like you have, without the prologue, you have Gandalf and Frodo meeting in the Glen. You have the birthday party and nothing bad has happened yet. Right. And then Gandalf's just like, it's about to get real, yeah. dog. Strap in. I'm about to rock your entire world, like, well, in the well, worst way possible. Well, Gandalf also, like, the look on his face while he's saying all this to Frodo is like he's slowly leaning in, getting ready to jump scare him. <laughs> and then the ring whispers, and they both get jump scared. Yeah, the ring, I, the ring whispers because he says Sauron. Yeah. And the ring's just like, what was that? <laughs> what was that? I heard you were talking shit. Um, and you didn't think that I would hear it. <laughs> oh my god. Did you just quote Gwen Stefani at me? In the I year would never. Of our Lord 2016. <laughs> I would never do such a thing. Why would I, oh my god. an intellectual, do oh. such a thing? <laughs> it's. Okay, so I'm going to level with you guys for a minute. We are incredibly behind uh, yes. recording. So we're recording this the day after the United States election. Yeah. Okay. So that aside, us being terrible hosts, watching this now is messing me up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
in the wake of everything that's happened in the past 24 hours, watching this minute now, where Gandalf is talking about, like, forces of evil and the ring awakening and everything, is messing me up on so many different levels. Yeah. And, okay, yes, fantasy evil is not equivocal to modern-day evil. Right. Everything is heightened in fantasy. Yes. But the reason that I like fantasy and sci-fi is because they are a way to explore fundamental human facts and truths and principles in a heightened and different world so we can have a different perspective. And that still doesn't change the fact that watching this is messing me up. <laughs> yeah. I just, we, just all, we just all have to think forward to Sam Gamgee's quote from the end. Yes, I know. It's hard. It's like three years from now. It is. It's very far from now. Oh, God. It's going to be a long uphill battle for a lot of people. It is. And, it is. you know, I'm almost glad. I actually, I'm very glad that I have, we have this project yeah to keep us grounded and distracted and not only that but it's it's nice to be reminded that these stories that you know were written around the first world war over like a hundred years ago now yeah, very is when we started building middle earth that it's still relevant and there's pros and cons to each of the, like both of those things yeah um but i like being reminded that the that i don't know i like being reminded that there's hope right and and that you know striving for hope is just part of the human condition right which goes back to what i was talking about earlier with the shire like the yeah. shire needs to be perfect because we need a heightened reminder right. that there's good in the world before everything falls apart. And talking about, like, the corruption of Middle-earth, we're going to talk about this more and more as we see more of it. But when you really start thinking about it, what you were saying earlier about slowly seeing more of Middle-earth mm -hmm. and, like, the effect of uh, Sauron's corruption on it. Right. We can introduce to that in a, in a really slow kind of way. Because Rivendell is still kind of perfect in its own right. But in a in an old fading light kind of way, right? There's um, well, any pocket of Elden Elvendom. Well, but Lothlorien doesn't feel perfect. Lothlorien feels Lothlorien feels like a dying land in a way that Rivendell doesn't. But there are still like pockets of, you know, perfection, yeah. and goodness, and resistance, and. I don't know. Lothlorien, I think Lothlorien feels different because our heroes are not openly welcomed in Lothlorien to begin with. Right. But uh, I think it also has to kind of deal with, or, or it has, the, the feelings you get might have to do with just kind of decisions in visual look, because Rivendell looks like the end of summer and Lothlorien looks like fall. Well, I mean, Lothlorien, all the trees are like golden, so. Yeah. <laughs> But they get to Lothlorien, what, in, like, February? Yeah. Because they're on the mountain and in Moria in January. Yeah. Which is a terrible time to go 
to a mountain unless you're into skiing. <laughs> uh, yes. Let us, let us pass over this mountain in the dead of winter. Right. Gandalf, what? <laughs> it's because he knows. No, I know, but... But he doesn't know. In he hindsight, he in hindsight, really, yeah. you can't find any other way to get out of here. You're going to go over, like, a mountain range. Right. Yeah. In the middle of winter. Right. What? Right, exactly. <laughs> Unless you're legless and can just walk on the right. snow. That's the most useful thing, I think, ever. It also makes no sense. I don't, whatever. I don't care. He's perfect. He's perfect. You know, I don't understand if he can... Never mind. We'll talk about it then. <laughs> we'll talk about it then. How much does he weigh? Maybe it's D&D logic. Like, halflings weigh, like, 30 pounds. <laughs> he weighs, like, 5 pounds. Like, a strong gust of wind just kind of carries him away. <laughs> I don't know. It makes no sense. <sighs> that's, like... That is, that's the, there, there's like one thing in each movie with Legolas that's just like, that doesn't make any sense. Whatever. For the elves, first movie, it's walking on snow. Elves, the the more that I watch these, the more I'm just like, all right, the moral to take away from this is goodness will always triumph over evil. Like, you know, uh, I think I can, I think I can. And elves don't make any sense. Elves, elves defy are, gravity. Elves are better than, better than you. Elves are better than you. Elves defy gravity. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the themes. Elves are just constantly flipping off conventional physics. Right. You know, while backflipping. While backflipping <laughs> on falling stones and progressing up some stairs. Anyway, I think that's it for this minute. Uh, I'm trying to think what else uh, What else we got here. The, um, I, I like the camera work in this, this minute a lot with the, the way it goes back to the ring. And just kind of when you really look at the ring... It almost looks like it's an impossible shape at the angle you're looking at it. Because the band looks far too wide on the outside compared to the inside, what you can see. What, it's like swollen with evil? Yeah. That's like, weird. Like, there's something going on with, like, the lens or the way, or, or just the perspective on the ring. It almost looks, it, it almost looks like it can't really be shaped that way and still be a ring that someone can put on their finger. Mm. And maybe the prop itself for that is just kind of designed strangely i think they were using the oversized one for that shot uh because probably it looks larger than life um yeah. we have more forced perspective shots we do with the and table again you know what i really what i what i'm thinking about here too watching this minute is that anytime there's any trouble a hobbit's first instinct is we should sit down and have some tea it's very british <laughs> let's have some tea i mean that's 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 how the British deal with their problems, and the Shire is supposed to be like the quintessential British village, like Middle England. Yeah, so that makes complete sense. It's just like every time there's a problem, tea. Yeah, tea or beer. A tea and a pipe. <laughs> tea or beer and a smoke, right. depending on the hour. And Gandalf's just like blowing smoke directly in Frodo's face. I've never noticed that the smoke is digital until this scene, and it makes it's like it does, like doesn't fit. Yeah. You can tell, but whatever. it's too like. It hangs in the air in a really unnatural way. Yeah. Especially when it's over his face, you can tell that it's yeah. like CGI. It's just kind of there. But whatever. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to... They can't realistically have them actually smoke in every scene. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are scenes where they do. More than just a few, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. He's not smoking. He's vaping. He's I'm, vaping. I'm just kidding. It's different, guys. <laughs> I think that's what all I have for this minute. Yeah. Um, 
we we uh, we get told uh, everything from the prologue is basically repeated here. So there's not really a lot of new information. There's just uh, Frodo indignantly being like, "But but Sauron was destroyed. Right? He was destroyed." In a very very dramatic way. Hey man, like. Who else woke up with shock this morning? I, I did. I, you know, a lot of people did. <laughs> I understand. I understand, my man. Yeah. But yeah, I I, uh, I think that, that covers us for this minute pretty well. Uh, this is going to be quite short in comparison to yesterday's minute. I know, but this is more in par with what we should be doing. I know. <laughs> Not the 40-minute rant. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like magic. I'm it's okay. Sorry. You don't have to apologize. I talked a lot too. <laughs> He's fine. So you can find us online at duelinggenre.com. Email contact at lord of the rings minute.com. On Twitter at LOTR Minute. Tumblr LOTR Minute.tumblr.com. You can find us on Facebook where we also have a listener group full of wonderful people who post funny memes and great insights. Yeah. You should leave us a five-star review on iTunes because we're cool and you're cool, and that's what cool people do for each other. <laughs> you can find Cassandra and our previous guests, Nick and Scott, on The Doctor's Companion. You can also find Nick and Scott hosting Back to the Future Minute. The three of them write and produce Geek by Night, which is awesome, and I can't wait to find out the results of Audioverse and see yeah. if you guys want anything. Well, it would be it would be for the semifinals, so... Oh. Uh, yeah. Okay. So if... If we were to advance to the finals, that'd be sick. That would be awesome. And coming soon, like next week soon? Yep, next Monday. Harry Potter Minute. I'm really excited. I'm excited too. It's going to give me something else to listen to. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested. I have a lot of, lot of strong opinions on Harry Potter that apparently I'm wrong about. But that, that Hey man, the listeners back me up. You're wrong. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, you can support us on Patreon at duelinggenre.com slash support. We also have a one-time donation button, and we're hoping to have merchandise ready by Christmas. So special thanks, as always, to our Patreon associate producer, Leaper182, and I hope everyone has a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday.